Before I start, shall we pray? Lord God, thank you that you are a speaking God. I pray that as we study the Gospel of John this morning and through this term, you will speak light into our darkness and you will change our hearts and we will know who you really are. Amen. So, in the beginning, well, that's a pretty good place to start, wouldn't you say? But there's something about that phrase, isn't it? When it says, in the beginning, you think, yes, this is it. We're in for a really good story. You want to sit down, get comfortable, make sure you're giving the story your full attention. Because in the beginning, it's not just the headlines, it's the full story. We're really going to get to the bottom of it here. And that's what we're going to do during this series in John. But before we actually get stuck into studying this passage, it's probably worth knowing just a little bit about who was writing and why they were writing. Once we've done that, I'm going to pull out just three key phrases. We've got them up on the screen here. In the beginning was the word from John verse 1. The word became flesh from verse 14. And then a bit later on in the same chapter, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world from verse 29. And we're going to see what those passages have got to say for us, to us about who Jesus really is. So, let's start with who was John. I we spent a bit of time playing 20 questions this morning. It was good fun. Sometimes working out who wrote a book of the Bible can feel a little bit like that. And we know that, that the Gospel of John was written by John, but which John? Now, fortunately, the book is full of clues. Now, if you wanted, we could have a little question session and we could call out and see if we could work out who it was that wrote it. But I'm not sure we've got time. So I'll just tell you what scholars are mostly agreed on. How does that sound? Mostly the scholars say that John, it was not John the Baptist who we heard of in our reading, but John the son of Zebedee, one of uh, Jesus's 12 disciples. The disciple whom Jesus loved is probably the same author, uh, the same man as wrote this book. And uh, this claim has been held up by tradition right back from the second century. So we can be fairly sure that when we read the Gospel of John, that we're reading the account of someone who was there, an eyewitness to all the events. He was a Palestinian Jew, so he's familiar with the scriptures and with all the customs that went along with it. But he also knew quite a lot about the Greek culture, so he could write in a way that his Greek readers would understand. He's the same John who wrote the letters that bear his name and also who wrote the book of Revelation. But when was it written? Well, that's a bit harder to pin down, to be honest. I, the Gospel of John was probably written a bit after the other Gospels, most likely between 70 and 100 AD. And it has a rather different feel. You can tell just from that bit we've just read. John seems far less concerned with the detailed history of Jesus the man. No, there's no uh, genealogy, there's no nativity story here. And possibly it's because he assumes that his readers already know the stories in the other Gospels, in Matthew, Mark and Luke. But he shares the same desire to share the same good news about the same Jesus Christ. In fact... John makes it easy for us. He spells it out in chapter 20, verse 31. It was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we see that John's completely upfront about why he's writing. But most importantly, he's writing about who Jesus is because it has a real impact on us. Now, the first chapter could almost be seen as a synopsis of the whole of the book. He uses vivid pictorial language and it hints at some of the depth of things that we're going to be able to cover in the next couple of weeks. And, um, and if you just scan your eye down the page in front of you, then you'll see some of the things that he has to say. You see, John says Jesus is the word. He was with God from the beginning. He is God. He's the creator, life giver, light bringer. He was foretold and others have borne witness to him. He's the true light. The one who gives us the right to be children of God. He was made flesh. The son of God. He came from the father. He's the bringer of grace and truth. He's the one who made the father known. Or in other words, Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So, now we know a bit about John and why he was writing, let's pull out three key phrases from chapter one and see what we can learn. We've already said that um, John's starting point was just a little bit unusual. He doesn't start, like Mark, with uh, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and he doesn't start, like Matthew and Luke, with Jesus' birth. Instead... John starts with the eternal divinity of the Christ. Right at the forefront of what we read, we have, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The deliberate parallel between the start of John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1, as we heard in our reading, well, it's striking Genesis starts with God speaking creation into existence. And so when John opens his gospel with those same words, in the beginning, it brings to mind the love of God in creation. But we know the story of creation, and we know what happened next. So it also brings to mind the story of the fall. It reminds us of how sin and death and darkness came into the world. So, while Genesis has God speaking creation into existence, John presents God speaking salvation into existence. God's love, in both cases, overflows as he speaks. And this, what we're reading now, it's the outworking of God's perfect plan to bring light and life to his much-loved people. So what can we conclude from the first verse? Well, through this phrase, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John makes clear the eternal divinity of Christ. And he upholds the unity of the stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He emphasizes the unchanging nature of the loving Creator God. But something did change didn't it? Let's pull out a second phrase. 
The Word became flesh. We're so familiar with this phrase that it no longer shocks us. But let's just pause for a minute. The Word became flesh. God Himself made man. Now, this would have really shocked some of the Greek readers because some of them thought there was a stark divide between the spiritual and the physical. But when Jesus becomes flesh, then he upholds the goodness of creation, which God called good in the story of Genesis. It isn't the being flesh that's man's problem. It's the choices we make in our lives. It's our sin that's our problem. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But it doesn't change God's character. When Jesus walked on earth, when he was teaching and healing and simply being, then we saw God's love in a form that we could understand. That's what changed. God had always loved us. But sometimes when we read the Old Testament, then it gets lost behind the legalism and the people's constant rebellion. So far, we've seen that John wants us to know that Christ was there in the beginning and this eternal word became flesh. The enormity of what we've covered in a few short verses is quite frankly mind-boggling. But there's more. Look at John 1 verse 29. Another John, John the Baptist, sees Jesus right at the start of his public ministry and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a claim he was making. Now, it's a sudden departure from the majestic images of the first, verse, the first 18 verses. We've read that Jesus was the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, that he is God, that he's been in existence since the beginning, and that nothing has been created without him. And in verse 12, we read that he can give us the right to become children of God. But... When John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb, it is suddenly, shockingly clear at what cost this salvation comes. So, right at the start of John's Gospel, we see a shadow of the cross. John the Baptist is already talking about the sacrifices to come. The Word didn't just come to teach men his words. No, Jesus, the Son of God, who helped bring man into being in the beginning, he came to earth. He was made flesh in order to die on the cross like a sacrificial lamb at Passover. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion together. And we'll use that same phrase, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We will remember how Jesus Christ, the divine and sinless Son of God, took our place on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. This can be hard for us to take in. It's one thing to believe that Jesus was and is God, but to say that God loves me enough to die in my place on the cross, it's something else. We often don't want to accept that. 
We don't want to ask for help. We want to be able to earn our salvation, to become children of God, because of something that we've done. But the shocking truth, trailed right at the start of John's Gospel, is that God himself became the sacrificial lamb and died to take away the sins of the world. That's the only way we can become children of God. As we study the Gospel of John over the next few weeks, then we'll dig deeper into the signs and the sayings of Jesus. John wrote his Gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John tells us that Jesus came with words of eternal life. So as I close, we're going to listen to some of the words from the Gospel of John, which Jesus said. And we're going to think about them, because already this morning, we have heard something of who John says Jesus is. But through this series, and starting right now, let's ask ourselves, who do we say that Jesus is?